And welcome back to 42 to Doomsday, still the greatest Doctor Who podcast in the world. With our listeners threatening to break their vows of chastity and listen to Radio Free Scarrow, how could we not return in this special one-off to protect their virgin ears from the depredations of maple syrup, virtue signalling, and the horrors of Patreon? We're back! Bigger, madder, and badder than ever before! Are you ready to rumble? Rob, hyperventilated at the beginning of the episode. We're back. Rob, how are we going? Flying high, Mark. Flying high. How are you? I'm good. Now, should we explain to our listeners why we're doing this? Yes, we should. As we indicated in our, our last episode, ostensibly our last episode. Allegedly. We were never coming back. No. We were sort of never coming back. We sort of said we'd do something at Christmas. That's correct. And we still are doing something at Christmas, isn't that right? We are indeed. However, it's September, so what are we doing? Well, the uh, the stars have aligned, uh, Mark, haven't they? For once, they have, actually. Why is that, do you think? Currently, I'm flying high on some legally prescribed opioids for a very good reason and your good self my career at the moment is in hiatus <laughs> and just like colin baker between uh, seasons 22 and 23 i'm getting paid not to do much we we're talking about doctor who all week on texting and and our, our chat conversations and, and rob goes it'd be good if we can have some sort of outlet to talk about doctor who ah hold on mm. so we are back and we've just tweeted a photo of uh, my microphone so we're going to take account during this episode of how many likes and retweets uh, we're getting and so far we have none <laughs> <laughs> look <laughs> it is early, only early days, Mark. I do like that little blue car that's uh, in the in the back corner of that photo. It's a Kinder Surprise uh, novelty. It came from the egg, and uh, we built it, and it's sort of sitting on my shelf for the moment. Yes, it needs to be thrown away. Like all Kinder Surprises. So basically, uh, we're both at home this week, uh, separately, of course. We're a bit bored. <laughs> <laughs> There's only so much Netflix you can watch before you, you just you, you crave for something different. I've I've watched the first series of uh, Santa Clarita Diet, uh, which is quite quite amusing in a grisly way. But I had the I had the urge uh, um, to uh, to strap on the microphone again. And uh, since we're both at home, it's uh, much easier to work out the calendar, isn't it? Yes, it's nice to be back. It is very much, however temporarily it may be, and depending on my uh, <laughs> the opioid levels in my blood, we'll see how far I go. A couple of weeks ago, we did a guest appearance on uh, an upcoming episode of the Diddly Dumb podcast, which sort of also reignited our passion slightly, didn't it, as well? That was uh, a lot of fun. It was. That'll be coming out in a couple of weeks, but we thought, for the moment, let's just uh, see if we can uh, carry on and try and relive some of the old... Glory days. I use the word magic in inverted commas. <laughs> Last episode we did, we released something, didn't we? Well, it was actual news, wasn't it, Mark? We made news. Not made up news, but made news. We discussed discovery or recovery of... A, a can that said the uh, macro terror on the label and it Correct. caused a bit of a flurry i think that'd be an understatement wouldn't it really well there are a lot of uh fans uh hyperventilating uh for and against hmm. uh, and then there was a lot, even larger number who just simply shrugged their shoulders and moved on with their lives there were some people who were questioning uh the veracity of the can they were questioning our motives uh, they were questioning basically whether we were engaged in a uh, in a very you know a failed attempt at a hoax uh, it was none, none of that, of course, was it, Mark? No, or to drive up listeners. Uh, actually, to be honest, we've had much better uh, rating episodes than, than our last one, so it was certainly it certainly wasn't that. <laughs> As I commented on on a number of forums, it was a strange way to drive up listeners on our you know last episode. So. Um, you know, no one was coming back because we certainly weren't uh, until today, as it turns out. We did sort of uh, read some of the comments on various forums and, and uh, what's it called? The Missing Episodes Facebook group, is that right? I believe it is, yes. Yeah, it's the Fox News of uh, Missing Episode forums, I think. <laughs> They're all sprouting fake news at us. <laughs> and uh, all I can say to that is, uh, well, you know, they're entitled to their opinion. What I've been doing in the, in the background is, um, and a couple of us actually been working with some of the archivists at the ABC trying to get more information on the can. Mm. Some of the findings from that have been interesting. Not entirely conclusive, but definitely, you know, they're not ruling anything out. So stay tuned is what we can say. Certainly, we've uh, in our early days on the podcast, we talked a lot about missing episodes, uh, Phil Morris's search, and just sort of missing episodes in general. And you know, my little my little piece of tiny piece of history with regards to the power of the Daleks. We're certainly not jeopardising any of our hard-earned credibility on that subject and other subjects by you know making something up. We haven't found a blue can and slapped on a label. Uh, there's no you know profit for us or or anything else like that. 
the, the whole idea behind it was you know to release it in the into the into the open have a discussion with the current holder um, and hopefully generate some information about the possibility that the ABC back in the you know maybe the 60s or certainly in the 70s um, had copied uh, film prints you know that's purchased from the BBC uh, and were using those copies to facilitate you know simultaneous broadcast around uh, the continent. I mean, Australia is a very large country, and um, until the advent, I think, of either microwave transmission or certainly satellite transmission, um, it would appear that if you wanted to have a simultaneous broadcast around the country, then you know, then making copies and shipping them around was the best way to go. Uh, so, look, we only ever did, you know, talked about the can purely for informational purposes. There's no, there's no accrual of any benefit to us. I mean, there's nothing in the can itself. The, the film print is unfortunately long gone. Um, so yeah, it was just purely an information exercise, and in the hope of drumming up further information. And I'm glad to hear that you know you've had some uh, further communications with uh, the powers that be as they are about it. Look, we're going to keep uh, pursuing those leads, and hopefully mm-hmm. we we'll get a more conclusive answer uh, over the next couple of months. But look, you know, it's certainly we don't believe it's fake. No, you know, we believe that the both owners of those of those of those tens were pretty clear in our disclosure in terms of how the the can initially came to light. Exactly. I mean, we have known both of the individuals who have held and owned the can for the better part of twenty years, if not more than twenty years. Mm. Uh, these aren't people who, you know, are in a burger van in a <laughs> in a strange part of Britain or a car boot sale or some anonymous fellow on the internet who's sort of, you know, we've met in a darkened alley. The people who have owned the, the, the can are known quantities to us. They're people out in the community. They're literally upright citizens. Uh, I, I couldn't think of two more uh, astute uh, individuals um, within the particular, you know, within Doctor Who fandom. So the the idea that uh, we've just made this up is, is complete bullshit, to be honest. And of course, you just got to face the ha- the faceless hordes on the internet to you know the the the, the 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 keyboard warriors out there who are quite happy to uh, abuse you online. But if you uh, had them in front of you, would turn into you know kittens begging you to rub their tummies before you smashed your foot in their face. But Anyway, sorry, that's the opioids talking. I apologise. Have you seen that YouTube clip about I found two lost episodes of Doctor Who? <laughs> I just watched that before we started recording, Mark. What was your thoughts on that? In the beginning, it looked like a found footage horror movie. It was it's like paranormal activity <laughs> uh, in someone's basement. Yeah. Uh, well, I've used it just before. Again, complete bullshit. The, 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 the reels that the alleged film prints are being held on are far too small. Um, the 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 the, the biro <laughs> that's used to fill out these labels is far too new. The labels themselves are far too clean. Uh, I mean, anything kept in the alleged conditions that they're meant to have been in would be far, you know, in far worse condition than what we we saw there. It's just a hoax. It's as pure and simple as that. But you know, hats off to someone who thinks that they could fool someone. Uh, for more than you know, five seconds. Although it was interesting when we put the picture up of the film can, somebody put on YouTube a forty-five minute discussion on what it could oh, be. That fellow, jeez, yeah, oh, such a totally wound individual. I mean, you know, and he was one of the people who was um, doubting us. And, and you know, whenever you'd come back at him with, you know, uh, facts or or get him to try and sort of put into you know something more coherent what he actually thought he was unable to do so to the point where he basically retreated did he uh you know exit his twitter account entirely or i can't remember i don't know but uh yeah 45 minutes on on a picture yes newsworthy i give him that <laughs> absolutely absolutely what about series 11 now the uh it's about time taglines being released uh, and the october 7th there's a date the episode will screen the was it the woman who fell to earth is that right the woman who fell to earth yes. the non-gender specific title uh, you're looking forward to it, Rob? What are your thoughts? We think we're both fairly positive about the casting and, and things like that. How have you been feeling over the last couple of weeks? Um, I'm a little bit glum, to be honest, Mark. I, th- I think the um, retreat to Sunday evenings is uh, the BBC waving the white flag to a certain extent. I mean, the, the, the show is now basically against up against no one. From what coverage I've seen, they've moved away from the hotly contested Saturday evening uh, to the more sedate uh, Sunday nights. Uh, and no matter how Chibnall uh, dresses it up, as he does in a uh, in a media release in the last couple of days, about you know you get your homework sorted, get your school clothes ready for for the next day, um, it, it, Doctor Who's back on Sundays. It doesn't strike me as a confident move. It strikes me as a purely defensive move, and I I just begin to wonder how confident the BBC is in the show at the moment and in potentially the direction that they've taken. I mean, everyone signed off on having a, a woman as a, as a lead actor. Uh, so 
great, that's fantastic. But if you are going backwards, effectively, uh, well, forwards in the calendar, obviously, um, it doesn't doesn't strike me as a particularly confident move. What do you think? It's a safer time slot. Saturday night viewing is not what it was, say, when when the series came back. So. Yes, Sunday night is a more sedate slot. I know when I was there last year, they were showing, they were showing things like pole dark and, and things like that. So it is a safer slot. Better than the weeknight. I think a weeknight, it just would have, still would have crashed and burned. But I think Sunday night is... I mean, it works on Sunday night over, over in Australia when it's when it's shown. So although it'll be shown on a Monday night, just before the machinations of Q&A, I, I believe. So. so just talking about the local angle for a sec, Mark. I mean, if it's... Have you heard anything about whether the ABC... We'll screen it on a Monday night on their prime channel, ABC One, because as far as I'm aware, at the 7.30 report is on at 7.30 until 8, and then we have a local doco called Australia's Story for half an hour until 8.30, and then our documentary, you know, a current affairs series, Four Corners, is on until 9.15, and then there's Media Watch for 15 minutes until 9.30, and then there's Q&A until 10.30. So when does Doctor Who get screened? Will it be on ABC One on a Monday night or will it be later in the week or will it be on 2, 3 or well, ABC 2 or 3? I was reading in the paper this morning that it's definitely going to be an iView post-UK screening time, so it's going to be up there. And they mm. were saying the Monday night schedule is not going to be affected, but as you've just rattled off those programs, which are pretty much the cornerstone of Monday night on the ABC, I find it hard how they're going to slot it onto ABC One. I reckon it might have to shift it to ABC Two. I agree. I don't, I don't think it'll, it'll be on the Prime... Um, the prime network, you know, the main channel for ABC, it'll have to be on two or three um, because that, that makes, otherwise it's, they're not going to shove aside, you know, what a long established popular uh, Monday night broadcast uh, setup that they've got. They're not going to do that simply for Doctor Who. So, you know, I think you're right. It's going to be two or three. And then what they'll do is they'll probably say it's on ABC two on Monday nights and then they'll repeat it during the week on the main, on ABC one on, say, yeah. a Tuesday or Wednesday night, just to sort of give it that more um, high profile, maybe. But Unless they were willing to wait until, say, Saturday night. So broadcast in the UK on Sunday night, they waited six days, seven days, uh, and broadcast the first episode the following Saturday. But that would be far too long, wouldn't it? I don't know, but for, I suppose for casual people who don't necessarily chase it down, they might slap it on. I mean, we're also going to slap on another series of Death in Paradise. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Well, Chris Marshall's got to have a got to keep working, doesn't he? Although he's left he's left the series, hasn't he? Oh yeah, I think he was supposed to do Doctor Who, wasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, have we covered how you feel about it at the moment? Or? No, not really. I'm a bit nonplussed about it. I'll be honest with you. They're having cinema screenings here on the eighth, and I won't be going to those. Mm. I mean, I'll watch it definitely, but I don't. I'm not. I'm not expecting big things from it. It doesn't matter who the actor is. I just. I don't know. I think I've moved on a little bit from it. Have you moved on from it simply because? the end to the Capaldi era was such a damp squib, a non-event, his final story? I think that has shaken my core a little bit. It's just a realisation for me that I always prefer the classic stuff. The new series isn't doing what I like. There are some good stories in there, admittedly, but in terms of some of the, the, the tone and, and things like that, I haven't really enjoyed. So, And I just think in terms of rewatch value these days, apart from the only ones I really want to go back and watch is the Doctor Fall and the, um, the, the preceding episode, but nothing really yeah. sort of sticks out. So I've actually found other TV I've enjoyed watching more. And I've sort of dipped back into the classic series. I'll watch it, yes, but I'm not going to get going on Twitter about it and things like that, you know what I mean? But then again, I might. It might surprise me, you know? So let's just see how it goes. Hopefully it might change my morose mood. I think, you know what, Mark? I think it is that if we were 14-year-old boys, yeah, uh, we would, this would be possibly the sort of show that, you know, you could embrace. I don't know that we're jaded, you know, middle-aged men, but looking at Doctor Who over the entirety of its new series run, has it really been essential television? Has it been essential television in the same way that, you know, say The Sopranos was in the late, in the in the early 2000s or Breaking Bad was a few years ago or maybe Westworld in its first year? Has it, has it been essential television or has it simply been a middle-of-the-road, uh, let's-not-scare-the-horses science fiction adventure show for families? Is it event television? No. They could say the day the Doctor was. But then again, it's pitched at an entirely different audience, right? I say the first series sort of got it vaguely right um, in terms of... I mean, I was sort of looking forward to each episode, um, but I think as the, sort of the, the series has progressed and you have your ups and downs, this is other things I'd rather sit down and watch, you know? I think the only... I think there's been some, some definite highlights in terms of cliffhangers, but, uh, you know, like the, the, the false regeneration in uh, series four... Mm. 
and then series 8, 9, 10, and 11, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, you keep using all the one-trick ponies, but um, no, it's not. I don't consider it event television. As But as I said, though, if I was 14 or 15, I might. Like, I used to watch the classic series. I, I mean, it used to be, I used to consider that. I couldn't wait to watch, you know, uh, an episode. But yeah. uh, these days, especially when everything's streamed, you just sort of, oh, I'll just watch one more, watch one, watch one more. Mm. I think that sort of has dissipated a lot. Yeah, it's just uh, it, you sort of. I've been sitting back and thinking about it, and and, and the, just the, the the cavalcade of of good quality television now. I mean, you look at you look at where uh, Hollywood movies are at the moment, and they're all blockbusters, and all the quality drama that you used to get on t- on, on, on at the cinema has now retreated to to television mm. because uh, Hollywood is not taking a risk just about with anything. So if you want to be, you know, if you want to watch good drama, it's on television. I mean, there's shows like, you know, uh, Line of Duty or more recently Sharp Objects um, that uh, or even Better Call Saul, uh, mm. which are the which is the sort of good quality drama that I enjoy watching. Uh, um, but you, you don't you're not seeing that at the cinema. And I can, I'm constantly and I suppose it's unfair because Doctor Who is meant to be pitched at a more family audience and it doesn't have necessarily all those darker themes that shows like I've just mentioned do exhibit. But um, if I'm wanting something that will engage me, um, that will grip me, that will have me sitting on the edge of my seat, that will provoke conversation with my wife at the end of the you know the program about how good that was and what was going on, uh, Doctor Who doesn't do that. Doctor Who simply doesn't do that anymore. And when it does, it's it's noteworthy only because it's so rare. Mm. I mean, we, we look at Capaldi's last uh, last series and you look at the, you know, the, the two episodes that formed the end of his regular run before the Christmas episode. I mean, they were noteworthy simply because they were gripping, they were dark, they were edgy, they were full of drama and moment and, and, and pathos and all that sort of thing. But again, that was so rare because the previous episodes in that run had been, you know, lightweight froth, basically, in comparison. Mm. Um, I, I just think that Doctor Who, it's 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 in a bind, isn't it? I mean, it wants to appeal to as much of an audience as possible, but I think it's diluting its brand, in, in effect. It's diluting its impact in doing so. But, you know, the BBC is a broadcaster for the entire nation. It, it tries to appeal as much as it can, I suppose, to justify its existence. It's It's hard. It's hard. Look, they are definitely pitching it now towards the. If you if you see the tone of what the the Cardiff Pride is going to now, it's mm. more going for the teenagers to tweenies. You know, we've seen that with the you know the, the new Time Tots uh, lineup and things like that. <laughs> Just briefly, what did hmm. you press release from a BBC higher up a week or two back, which basically he was praising uh, Jodie Whittaker's performance, where it seemed to indicate that all the quirky eccentricities. Uh, the unique characterization that each of the previous actors had b- brought to the role, going back to William Hartnell, not a misogynist, um, or certainly not the first Doctor, um, had been basically filed off with Jodie Whittaker and it was going to be more a straight-ahead performance. Did you? Is that what you took away from that? Pretty disrespectful, I thought. This PR spin, uh, slagging off the the 12 wonderful actors beforehand. Mm. Yeah, just being very disingenuous, I thought. Uh, look, uh, I think it was Piers Wenger or yeah. Wenger? Uh, Wiener, I don't know. But he's just trying to drum up uh, interest in it, I suppose. But um, look, you know, will I watch it? Yeah, of course I'm going to watch it. But it's probably going to be poor Doctor Who, but hopefully fairly good TV. Yes. And just uh, on a Twitter update before we move on to our next segment, mm-hmm. we've had one like, Mark. One like. Who's that from? That's our uh, our, our good friend, uh, David Kitchen. From oh, the, uh, bless him. From the, uh, the Goodies Pirate podcast and the Doctor Who show and Spacefall, a, po- a Blake 7 podcast, yes. Yes, and also coming soon, the Are You Being Served podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that is happening. It's happening. <laughs> All right, on that cheery note, let's move on to our main topic. Rob says we've got a main topic. We actually don't really. We're actually going to drag him through the archives because I've got another three years worth of DWBs to get through and I've had a bit of time to go through them and collate some of the more... What's the word? Uh, interesting choice articles from the 90s. Should we drag through them together, Rob? Yes, please, mate. <laughs> This one here is from DWB issue number 77 in May 1990. Now, hold up there, Mark. What were you yeah. doing in May 1990? 
drunk, probably. It's tw- Mark, it was 28 years ago, Mark. I know, I was working then, unlike now. <laughs> I was clean. <laughs> unlike now. <laughs> unlike now. <laughs> Hi, I'm Crack, toting a machine gun, toting a microphone. The, uh, the, the, prescri- the box of uh, tablets says, do not crash before cons- <laughs> consumption. So I've, uh, I think I've adhered to that rule mostly. Do you know what you should do? Yes. Is keep one of them spare, and when mm-hmm. Series 11 starts, just crush it. <laughs> Give it a bit of a snort, and yeah. hopefully that will take you away. It'll take me to a better place, that's for sure. <laughs> While there's life, there's hope, Rob. Come on. Yes, exactly. Now, DWB issue 77, May 1990, Mark. Hit me with it. Power of the Daleks is a toast of this latest special issue of DWB. The discovery of 50 or so stunning colour photographs from this vintage 60s Doctor Who adventure marks the climax of many years of painstaking effort on the part of Dalek fan Dave Baston, who eventually tracked them down to a remote photo library in rural Kent. DWB has purchased the rights to many of these stills for reproduction to enable readers to have access to this unique documentation of the much-loved uh, Patrick Troughton's debut story. Indeed, it is a credit to Dave... Uh, that his discovery was not reserved for some private collection <coughs> in Levine, but immediately made public for all of us to share, unlike several selfish individuals who continue to hoard what is, in the eyes of many fans, priceless material that it seems they will never be able to see, such as macro terror film cans. <laughs> DWB will be showing more of these stills very soon, and in conjunction with Stephen Payne of Visual Imagination, will avoid publishing any or will be appearing in TV Zone. Incidentally, through the offer in their latest issue, you can purchase copies of these for, of these stills for your own collections. So there you go. Apparently, they were shot for the Observer newspaper in 1966. Now, interestingly enough, they just found a whole lot of other pictures from the Abominable Snowman a couple of weeks ago at some photograph library in uh, Wales, I believe. A newspaper uh, photo library. Um, I think a, a number of them will feature in the next issue of Nothing at the End of the Lane. Uh, oh, nice. I think based on what uh, Richard Bignall uh, posted either on uh, the Rhubarbs Forum or maybe Gallifrey Base. I'm not quite sure. But uh, yeah, those, um, just to look at the black and white ones from the Abominable Snowman, there's some wonderful photos there, including a very evocative one of, uh, is it Deb Watling and Fraser Hines and uh, Deb Watling's father with a brandishing a shotgun. And you, you, you can imagine the caption contest that would ensue from that. Yeah, something along the lines of, uh, are they uh, Debbie's uh, knickers in your shirt, Fraser? <laughs> they, they were very lovely black and white photos, and uh, hopefully um, they get to, they get printed up in, in, in nice big glossy uh, uh, images in a, in a magazine coming soon to you. But yes. um, I remember seeing these Power of the Daleks photos um, in when I first uh, lighted on DWB in the early 90s when I was starting university. I was picking them up wherever I could, either at Minotaur in the city, or there was a, as I've mentioned many times before, there was a bazaar, or there is a bazaar in um, in Chapel Street, I think, and uh, the, the, one of the sellers there had a whole heap of DWBs, and I was buying them in increments, and this is one of the first ones that I got, and those, just those seeing those colour photos was incredibly evocative um, of the serial itself. I don't know if those photos, I can't remember if they were used on the DVD um, photo library, actually, i have to go and have a look at them. I'm interested, uh, I mean, it'd be, it'd be nice to know more of the background of because it's the, the effort by Dave Baston is described as being painstaking. So I mean, it may just simply have been, you know, finding out who the photographer was at that time, and and then trying to contact or get access to the the, the library um, via the owners. Just be interesting to see if Dave Baston has, has spoken of his his work at that time, um, and what he might actually have today to say about it all. And yeah. uh, I mean, I know you've intimated that perhaps. Uh, the uh, private collectors may have included a former uh, or maybe even current music producer but uh, you can, I, I, I do know of at least one other name um, that I won't publicly mention simply because I might be wrong who may have been keenly interested in, in, in getting his hands on, on, on these so um, you, it, it, it sort of it makes you wonder what other stuff that is definitely missing you know, from various archives in terms of written documentation or photos, or even perhaps, you know, perhaps film prints, uh, lies or rests in the hands of, you know, known Doctor Who collectors, well-known Doctor Who collectors. And I just want to say that I don't, I'm not mention, I'm not, I don't mean Ian Levine by what I'm saying there uh, at all. There are other names that immediately pop to mind, but anyway. This is where I'll play the Spider-Man music over the people who we do know who's got it. <laughs> 
Yeah, so that's a that's a nice little article there, and uh, DWB did, did print them up in it. Was it a special issue that they did, or that? Yeah, I think it was a double issue. Uh, yes. I think it was for May and June, and they uh, yeah they put a whole stack of them in there. Like I've seen obviously a couple, but I don't know whether the full uh, library of those uh, pictures have been. Uh, released yet I can't remember I have to go look at the, the Power of the Daleks DVD and uh, check out the photo gallery and see what's on there okay I might do that uh, straight after this actually got a bit of time on my hands so why not yes well uh, look I have more tablets to take but uh, <laughs> keep one aside to... <laughs> <laughs> yes exactly uh, and just back on those black and white abominable uh, snowman photos hopefully uh, they're all I mean I, you can actually if you do have a hunt around someone's posted them up but um, hopefully they're made available in a more you know consumer friendly uh, uh, method. When's the next nothing at the end of the line now? Uh, well, what is it now? We're in uh, September. Possibly at the end of this year, but probably more likely next year. But um, I I don't have direct access to to, to Bignall, so I don't know. Okay, I'll just tweet him now and ask him. All right, you do that. We'll we'll have a live update hopefully before the end of this recording. All right, Mark. So we're now moving on to the next one again in uh, issue seventy seven of DWB. The next article, headlined. It will be a few months before a decision. <laughs> okay, all right, here we go. So, in a letter to prospective independent Doctor Who producer Jerry Davis in early April, BBC One head of series Peter Cregeen stated that, quote, it will be a few months before a decision regarding the series' future is made. With an announcement promised by the end of April, it would appear that the BBC are going back against their word. Indeed, more and more people are speculating whether their continued stalling is the BBC's new method of winding down the series altogether but avoiding the massive outcry that occurred last time they attempted to axe the series in 1985. Whatever the case, it can be assumed that Doctor Who is on another hiatus, at least as durable as that of 1985-86, and possibly a lot longer. As Barry Letts observed in DWM 160, quote, I know that the BBC don't intend to drop it completely, and I've heard that from the horse's mouth. Peter Cregeen told me it was time for one of its periodic rests, though this, in fact, is only its second. They've said they won't do another season until they've d- discussed the situation and come up with an answer. Going over to independent production is just one of the options they can take. Barry Letts concluded. Season 26 repeat. The official line from the BBC press office is that season 26 will be repeated late next year as a lead into season 27. And then the rest of the article is headlined The Catch-22 Situation. It is unfortunate that all we can do at the moment is speculate as to Doctor Who's future. Another theory regarding the delay is that BBC find themselves in a catch-22 situation. They don't want to spend the resources on producing longer seasons of the series themselves, yet, at the same time, don't wish to sign over a proportion of the income the series makes in marketing sales, which any incoming independent production company would be sure to demand. Jerry Davis has secured studio space from a well-known Canadian production company at a nominal rent. If successful, former top writers and directors from the show's past will be employed to spearhead Doctor Who's revival. So this is probably one of the first of, or probably actually one of uh, many uh, articles talking about, indeed he'll be talking about either a decision will be made shortly (laughs) or it's taking longer than we thought or uh, we'll come back to you at some future time. The door is not closed. Uh, Blah, blah, blah. Yes. Look, the interesting thing was here, the season 26 repeat. Why would you repeat the previous season if, say, there's a new actor taking on the role Mm. and it wasn't deemed to be a success? Wouldn't you just basically just push ahead with a brand new series and not sort of show the one beforehand? Yes. Unless it's a line just to placate fans. Uh, that you know we're we're still committed to Doctor Who in some form, and uh, and uh, we won't let you down. We'll repeat season twenty six, and uh, in the interim, fans will just sort of go off and be happy about the prospect of you know a rare repeats. But pff. fans mostly take that off the off the TV. If you're yeah, going to do repeats, you do something like they did later on the um, Time Meddler and, and those ones on on BBC too. Mm. Look, just reading that, it's um, a bit like Piers Wanger's press release a couple of weeks ago. He's, you know, slagging off all the other actors to play the role. Can you, uh, from your memory, was the Jerry Davis Terry Nation, you know, independent production thing ever close to succeeding or was it just, you know, one of a number of things that was sort of floated through the media? I think it was one of the many number of things. Apart from that line where, where Jerry has rented a studio from nominal rent, it sounded like some sort of dodgy warehouse in Toronto somewhere. Mm. I just thought it was just those two getting together, putting a pitch together and then mm. it was rejected. I don't yeah. think it, it really progressed any further than that, unless uh, maybe uh, Richard Bignall can cover that. The independent bits of Doctor Who in the 90s, did they exist? If you're listening, Richard, and I'm sure you're not, uh, <laughs> please. I'll tweet him now. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, and on tweet update, let's have a look here. Uh, still only one like. Bless you, Dave. Let me retweet mine uh, okay. on my Twitter feed. Just one moment. Oh, here we go. Dylan Green. Wait, is 42 Doomsday coming back? It's a Christmas miracle. We'll see, Dylan. We'll see. This is from the same issue at DWB because it was a double issue. And it says, the actual uh, headline says, Seeing Double, which is exactly how my vision is at the moment. And probably yours, Rob. That you're high on whatever I don't you go for the lesser double, mate. I go for the quadruple. It's fantastic at the moment. You go for the more bigger. It says, <laughs> Every editor's nightmare became a reality for DWM's John Freeman recently. Soon after sending DWM 159 off to the printers a good few weeks before it was due to appear in the shops, he was horrified to discover that TV Zone had elected to use the same publicity still from the Curse of Fenric for their fourth issue's front cover. Worse still, TV Zone, who work on a far tighter schedule, was uh, released to appear in the shops a whole month before DWM. Such a mistake was arguably inevitable, with the emergence of a magazine catering for more or less the same market as DWM's, and does highlight the lack of communication between similar publications to find out what the other is planning, particularly in relation to the make-or-break cover material. DWM will undoubtedly have lost sales as a result with either potential buyers either being confused or annoyed, or both. It sounds like our listeners to our podcast. <laughs> At one stage, albeit late last year, DWB had planned to use the same still for this issue's cover, but since we operate on the tightest schedule of all, two weeks uh, from paste up to distribution, you can be sure of no repeats with this magazine. The picture, of course, is of... Uh, Nicholas Parsons, McCoy, and Aldred outside the church. I'll uh, I'll grab that and I'll whack it on our uh, blog, which hasn't been used. Hopefully, I can still remember the passwords. I might paste that up and uh, stick it up. You can have a look at that. What's your recollection of TV Zone, Mark? It wasn't very good. <laughs> it wasn't very good. I don't okay. think it was. Yes, it, it like I'm not quite sure about DWB's comparison between the two. Uh, it like it certainly was a more had a wider scope in terms of telefantasy uh, in general. But it, it, when it did zero in on Doctor Who, it certainly was not able to, you know, didn't have the scope or depth that Doctor Who had because Doctor Who was a single issue, a single TV show uh, magazine. But um, I mean, I, I know when I was uh, working at Minotaur, it was uh, we certainly got it in, uh, you know, every month, and it was uh, it was reasonably popular. I think we mainly we sold out uh, more often than not. So uh, certainly we calibrated our, <laughs> our purchases uh, to meet the market from the previous month. But um, yeah, I mean, I, it was uh, yeah. It, it, I didn't uh, didn't glom onto it um, like like others did, but um, it was okay. I think it's probably best you can say. In terms of other telefantasy shows, I mean, DWB was doing the same thing. It just wasn't sold through the, the newsagent, so I never really bothered it. Part I just used to get DWB. So I stopped buying the Doctor Who magazine. I think in the early nineties, and just kept going with uh, DWB till I think ninety four. I think it was, and then and then sort of stopped that as well. Well, that's when DWB transitioned to Dreamwatch, wasn't it? Yeah, and I sort of stopped then because yeah. it, it was focusing too much on stuff I wasn't interested in. So, but, see, this is the funny thing: it it in when it sort of broadened its its outlook as DWB, it its coverage was fantastic. It really hmm. was the premier magazine for that sort of thing, and I eagerly looked looked for it. But then when it, it transitioned, especially those early issues to Dreamwatch. It was definitely subpar. The, the articles weren't as well written. They were sort of flashier. It just seemed to lack content. Uh, and I don't understand how you go from, you know, you, you transition to doing uh, Dreamwatch, which is essentially the same, you, you're doing the same sort of coverage as the latter issues of DWB, and yet it, it lacks depth and heft, and uh, it, it's just a strange one. I'm not, not quite entirely sure what happened there. I just love the line here. It says, um, it does highlight the lack of communication between similar publications to find out what each other is planning. Why would you do that? I mean, it's not like I ring up Dave and Rob from the Doctor Who show and say, by the way, guys, what are you doing this way? You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't make sense. You just do what you have to do independently. Exactly. I mean, you you don't want to jeopardise you. You can't imagine DWB in its earliest issues ringing up uh, the editor of DWM at that time and saying, guess what? We're going to have multiple covers uh, talking about the return of missing episodes. Would you like some? I mean, <laughs> What can you say? News was short. But interestingly <laughs> enough, there was the 89 uh, readers poll yes. uh, was published in that issue. So let's just go through some of the, the, the key points that uh, piqued my interest. Season 26, this is what they voted for in uh, order of preference. So number one with 908 points was The Curse of Fenric. Ghostlight was 683 points was number two. Survival was number three with 540 points. And Battlefield was number four with 404 points. So um, it says only four people put Fenric last. That, that sounds about right, uh, wouldn't you think, in terms of the qual 
quality, or would you swap survival? I'd swap survival with ghost light. With, with ghost light, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was tending to think that. I mean, ghost light looks lovely. Uh, its story is affected, I think, by the really tight editing that they were forced to perform on it. Hmm. Uh, wouldn't you agree? Yeah. 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 It needed a bit of extra uh, episode to to breathe a bit, or at least another going over and a script editing point of view, just to refine it a yes. bit more. Not, not use excuse read the book if you don't understand it. Yeah, no, that's pretty ordinary. Now, the next question that was uh, asked was uh, was season twenty six an improvement on season twenty five, and seventy three percent of respondents said yes, seventeen and a half percent said not sure. What were you doing? If you can't, I don't understand that, <laughs> and a, a solid nine and a half percent, a strong minority said no, which was, um, yeah. Well, I mean, it's very conclusive, isn't it? You're never going to please everybody, are you? Really? No, but I mean, look, you've got three quarters of people saying yes that, and it was. I, yeah, I, I think the only one that sort of misses the mark a bit is Battlefield. Uh, but the other three stories in it are, are definitely a step up from season 25, which itself is a step up from season 24. Yeah. So, yeah, I think the audience uh, or the respondents definitely got that right. Mm. And the next one is, how do you rate Sylvester McCoy? Uh, good was at 45%. Brilliant was at 23%. Average was 13%. Poor was 7%. Other is 6.5%. And abysmal... It's five and a half percent. Some of the comments are, um, has the ability to create a believable doctor, but does sometimes overact. Uh, McCoy has restored credibility to the show. When he's good, he's very good. When he's bad, he's awful. Ian McLaughlin says, by far the worst doctor there has ever been. Brian Keane says he has the potential to be one of the best doctors. And David Hookham says he has absolutely no presence whatsoever. So when you look at that, I mean, in the upper echelons of the rating, 68% of the... DWB respondents. Now, remember, this is DWB respondents, and DWB's coverage of uh, the latter JNT years and the McCoy era was never flash. Um, so, sixty-eight percent of the respondents thought he was good or brilliant, mm. which is, you know, the audience, the readers who bothered to respond have an outlook on McCoy that I think was at variance with the editorial direction of the of the <laughs> magazine. Yeah, and remember DWM shortly after did there was I think the nineteen ninety poll and it had Sylvester McCoy beating Tom Baker as their favourite doctor. Yes, yeah, so I th- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well that that is the you know we we see that constantly with polls, don't we? That um yes. you know, before he left David Tennant was the most you know, the best doctor uh, Matt Smith, best doctor, th- that sort of thing, you know. Uh, just the immediacy of a of a particular era does impact on the way on the voting intentions of the uh, respondents. That's right, that's right. And it says, uh, let's just go through a couple of bits and pieces here. Your favourite stories of the 80s, and it was uh, The Case of Androzani with uh, 386 points, Urshock with 211 points, uh, Curse of Fenric, 152 points, Legopolis with 148 points, Remembrance of the Daleks with 127 points, Revelation of the Daleks, uh, 75 points, probably JR wrote in for that one, uh, The Five <laughs> Doctors, 56 points, Ghostlight, 46 points, Black Orchid? 36 yes. points? Seriously. The Keeper of Trakin, 34 points. Uh, the Two Doctors, 23 points. And underneath that is State of Decay, Kinder, Resurrection, Castrovalva, Warrior's Gate. It's a bit higgledy-piggledy there. Uh, the least favourite stories of the 80s was uh, Paradise Towers, uh, 53 points. Time of the Rani, 36. Twin Dilemma, 33. Happiness Patrol, 29 points. Uh, Time Lush, 20 points. Delta and Abandonment, 17 points. And the rest of it is taken up with Vervoids, Time Flight, Silver Nemesis, Warriors of the Cheap, Battlefield and Survival. Interesting. If you do the polls now, obviously half of those stories wouldn't appear in other top tens, apart from the clunkers. Mm, mm. And it's usually Death in Heaven is number one these days, isn't it? Clunkers. Uh, well, I was just—I'm surprised that no one was able to see that far into the future and, and nominate Death in Heaven as the least favourite. Anyway, I think I did under <laughs> other. <laughs> I mean, you can see the favourite stories of the '80s are what you would expect. I'm surprised at that point that the Two Doctors is so high, um, and that something like say. Let's have a look here. The Happiness Patrol is so low. Mm. I mean, you could you could possibly swap two Doctors for Happiness Patrol, or you could swap uh, Vengeance on Varos. No, note that sort of Happiness Patrol and Vengeance uh, do have sort of political subtexts that uh, would in should increase their um, their reviewability as as compared to the two Doctors, which is. Well, I don't mind it. Not a not a great story overall. It's far too long. Interesting to see. Black Orchid, you hung up on that. I could... <laughs> uh, 
that's mental. I mean, that's definitely the memory cheating there. Well, coming to a Blu-ray disc near you very shortly, Mark, so you can, yes. re- you can review that. I'm looking forward to that, actually. Uh, I have been enjoying the Blu-rays so far, so I'm looking forward to the next set. I'm hearing, just as a tangent, I'm hearing that uh, in the UK, their releases were limited. So there are people who are selling uh, their copies or duplicate copies they purchased online for stupid money. But down here in Australia, you can get a Region 4 one for decent, a decent price on a shelf in a shop. And the discs are actually mastered in the UK. Essentially the same apart from the little slip cover oh. has the, um, the ugly yellow PG on it. But so apart why, from that, people, it's the rest. Yeah, why hmm? people are paying hundreds of dollars in the UK, come, come down and buy the Region 4 one online. We're happy to buy them for you if you pay for our air flight back. <laughs> Our air flight. <laughs> Notice how you use our air flight? Yes, you know? exactly, exactly. Yeah. Me in business and you in economy. Uh, <laughs> hey. Now, there's uh, further polls here, Mark, I can see. I'll let you read this one out, Rob. The top poll on the next page is, how would you describe 80s Doctor Who compared to the 70s? So, uh, looking at this, yes, it's in order. So, uh, Doctor Who, uh, 36.5% of people say that it has changed with the times. Uh, 25% say that it's lost direction compared to the 70s. Uh, there's a, other components, so there's other comments below, which we'll read out in a moment. A continued excellence. 10.5% of people were convinced that the show continued the excellence of the 70s into the 80s. 9.5%, uh, it says the show now bears no comparison to the good old days. Uh, 2.5% say that it's a parody. And uh, <laughs> a solid 1% say, uh, obviously they're on the same drugs as I am currently, that it's better than ever. <laughs> You and, could use that poll now and that'd be... <laughs> how would you describe the new series compared to the 80s and the 70s? Uh, 1% would be better than ever, mate. So, <laughs> and uh, just before we move on to reading out the other um, from this uh, previous poll, uh, we'd, how do you rate J&T's producership? Now, again, fair, 33.5%, good, 29%, uh, 29.5%. Poor uh, are 17 excellent is 8 abysmal is 7 and then there's more comments. Again, it's noteworthy that... Fair to, you know, say from average and upwards is constitute the majority of the people who responded, the, the easy, the majority into the 60s or 70s. Again, at variance to DWB's uh, pogrom, continued pogrom against JNT. <laughs> now, in terms of the um, other comments, we've got John Ross, not JR, perhaps, John Ross, mm. uh, an uneven decade to say the least. Alan Reid says only season 26 saved. Uh, it from being abysmal. Jonathan Dowley, under his reign, JNT's reign, the program has fallen severely in quality. Uh, so Scott Wilkinson says, um, Will Coxon, sorry, says, uh, when he makes uh, makes a good story, he makes a good one, but when he fails, he fails miserably. Chris Cheffins, very few good stories, probably no more than half a dozen overall. Are you sure it's not Chibnall? <laughs> Just moving down, uh, Richard Fitzgerald pithily says, it's been a waste of time. <laughs> Uh, Jonathan Harrison 50 stories produced and only 8 even halfway decent don't hold back uh, there we've got a Lou Trohar season 26 good standards came too late Ian McLaughlin again uh, after getting rid of all that was wrong with the Williams era he ended up with even an even worse set of stories and David Abrey not bad for a man who wanted to leave. Did you read Douglas Angel, who said the script editors seem to control the show with JNT acting as its salesman marketing representatives? That's very perceptive. You could say it's the other way around now, couldn't you, really? Where yes. the, the showrunner controls the show and the marketing and the salesman uh, side of things, where the script editors are uh, invisible. Mm, absolutely. They actually exist, I don't know. But uh, here we go, JNT's greatest achievement. Uh, getting the show back after the 85 crisis. Uh, Nicholas Pons says, uh, bringing back uh, past foes and monsters. No, I wouldn't go that far. Mm. Uh, Paul Clifford, pulling the series out of its rut in the early 80s. And Daniel O'Mahony, I don't know. I'm still waiting for it. <laughs> Neil Every says, surviving fandom. No producer can have suffered so much. Uh, Andrew Pixley actually is uh, included here. And he says, greatest achievements was uh, more outlandish fantasy serials. And he gives Warriors Gate and Kinder as uh, two noteworthy examples there. So... Yeah, that's a fair call, actually. And then uh, JNT's greatest mistake. So we have Lynn Davies, Mordron Undead, Continuity Blunder, uh, Gary Flanagan, Not Defending Himself Adequately. Actually, it's probably a fair point. Hmm. Uh, Kate Orman, Whatever He Did to Alienate DWB. <laughs> 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 uh, good work, uh, good work, Kate. Yeah, Andrea Crossfire is up by saying Not Suing DWB. <laughs> uh, Vaughn Stanger, Too Little Control Over Script Editors. Uh, don't yeah. know about that, Vaughn. We've got Evangelo uh, Cayusus uh, em- employing Kef McCulloch. I uh, I can't disagree with that as a personal aside. There's one here from David Thomas. 
Uh, not using the hiatus to improve the quality. I think that's pretty fair. There's also another one here which I don't understand. Martin Rogerson says not changing the opening titles. He did that many times, didn't he? He did that more times than he changed um, um, underpants. Or lovers. The dead can't sue. (laughs) Take me, Gary. Come on, let's make magic. Medication. I can't help it. <laughs> start crushing, son. Start crushing. <laughs> I've got a pistol and mortar. I'm Ubering it over to you now. Thank you very much. All right. Uh, the next table here, Mark, says, do the 1990s hold a brighter <laughs> outlook for Doctor Who? <laughs> oh, <laughs> look at these numbers. <laughs> uh, oh, they're on the same opiate you're on. <laughs> Clearly. Look at this. 55%... <laughs> Sorry, not 55%, 55.5%, so yes. <laughs> How little they knew. Oh, dear. All right, and uh, don't know, uh, fair enough comment, were 25.5%. No was a solid 8%, and then there were some comments that you can read out, Mark, that produced 11% of the figures. Alan Smith says, I think it's uh, come to the end of its natural life. I could be proved wrong, though. Uh, Graham Roberts says, impossible to predict. He said it right there, brother. Uh, Peter Griffiths, not if good old Terry Nation gets his claws into it. Andy Walker uh, says, providing the independent company isn't J&T's. Uh, Kevin Merchant says, only if Sylvester and Sophie stay. Colin Barkworth says, if the Radio Times is right in describing Dragonfire Part 3 as episode 670, then I suspect the BBC will see exactly 700 episodes as a significant landmark on which to end. If Colin actually believes that, I have a bridge in Sydney that I'd like to sell to him. <laughs> and some opiates. Uh, Heath Bradshaw says, if Doctor Who is to survive into the 90s, it must be produced by people who really understand the series. That comment there is the one that makes the most sense. Yes. So moving on now to uh, DWB 79, July 1990. And it says, Cinema are hot favourites for independent Who production. For the first time in months, the future of Doctor Who is starting to look very promising indeed. At the beginning of June, CFAXI, BBC's teletext service, or as I call it, pre-internet, confirmed from now on the series will be made by an independent producer and that further news will be made available once known. The story was also covered on ITV's own Oracle service. Uh, Furthermore, it is now known that the BBC uh, Enterprises have abandoned any plans for the Coast to Coast to produce the series since the film is no further from being realised than it was in 87 when it was first revealed that the company had bought the screen rights to the series. Hinchcliffe Input. The focus now is on Peter Krijin's favourite choice, Cinema Verity, run by original producer Verity Lambert. Another popular ex-producer, Philip Hinchcliffe, is employed by the company. While Verity Lambert herself will neither confirm or deny the situation, it is believed that continued stalling is the result of the BBC and Cinema Verite ironing out the small print of the former's terms for Doctor Who's independent production. Initially, Cinema Verite withdrew their bid after the BBC insisted that Sylvester McCoy would be part and parcel of the package, which the incoming company would have to inherit. But since then, pressure from various companies has forced the BBC to review the situation to the point where it is now uh, common knowledge that Sylvester McCoy is unlikely to return to the role, as indeed the actor has suggested. Hopefully an agreement of uh, terms between the BBC and whoever is eventually assigned to produce Doctor Who has been reached by now, enabling an announcement to be made this time on schedule. Dot, dot, dot. And just under that, it says, Anthony Stephen, the author of The Twin Dilemma, Colin Baker's debut adventure, died recently. That was rather sad. It was only six years, six-ish years since uh, he'd, he'd written it. Was, yeah. He didn't really write it, did he, really? Uh, Eric Sayward did most of it, yeah. Yeah, but... yeah, that's true. And Eric Sayward is still with us, happily. Well, what can you say about that? Nothing, really. I mean, uh, I can't remember what, what was said in the, in the Verity a biography that Richard Marsden wrote. There was a chapter or at least a couple of pages about the bid, but I can't remember if it was actually a serious thing or not. The, the interest that they've linked uh, Phil, Philip Hinchcliffe uh, to it, you would think that perhaps he would have a, you know, a co-producer producer role as well. You wouldn't think there'd be anything lower than that, given his his pedigree and his, and his, and his resume and all that sort of thing. I mean, why would you want to go back to it anyway? You know what I mean? Like, he's obviously moved to Cinema Verity to, to do some other stuff. Mm. And, you know, hey, we've won a contract. We want you to produce it. you probably go, look, I'm happy to sort of exec like a Barry Letts did, but uh, not to take it on. I mean, he's been there, done that. And why would you reheat a souffle twice? Yeah. You, why, why go back? Yeah. And potentially tarnish your um, your reputation. Exactly. It's Look, as with anything that any of the coverage that DWB had... Uh, on this particular topic in the 90s. I'm, I'm, look, I'm sure they had access to, you know, uh, 
not whistleblowers is probably too strong a word, but you know, information from within you know the BBC and and other people within the industry more broadly. It's it's just hard to know how much of this is accurate, how much of it is spin, how much of it is stitching together disparate elements and hopefully making up an article, uh, not not making up as in faking it, but you know, putting an article together. Um, I'm, I'm sure a lot of this was um, occurring in the background, I suppose, that, you know, the, the, the cinema Verity existed with an idea to bringing Doctor Who back to television. But um, as to, you know, how much of it was, you know, that close to completion, it's, it's, it's impossible to say. It's probably a mixture of all those things you pointed out. Mm. Spin, made up, bit of this, bit of that. And look, there may be an article that I've read that I've, and I've forgotten, but there, surely there's a a really you know, long, in-depth article that looks at this particular point in the show's history, um, you know, the lead-up to the end of 89, you know, the last season, the rumours of the show not coming back, and then all these other entities that sort of came out after, you know, uh, Survival you know, was broadcast with, with an eye to, um, you know, producing the show on the BBC's behalf. Surely there, there, there's, there's, you know, enough people still alive and material that still exists for someone to pull something together, because... You know, it'd be interesting to see, was the show a signature away from coming back as part of an independent production company or was it a series of, you know, organisations that were sort of looking for, um, you know, intellectual property and sort of, you know, sniffed at the chance of Doctor Who and uh, and then moved on when they thought that the, the, the numbers, you know, weren't going to work. It'd just be interesting to see. I know there's sort of been some investigation was on the uh, bid that was done, that was attached to was Paul Bernard, the Doctor Who director from the 70s. Yeah. And apparently they did some, allegedly did some fielding with that David Burton guy. Mm. And um, all he got was a car which he had to give back once they found out it wasn't <laughs> happening. I think there's some articles on that, but there's no footage, even though they said they've, they've shot footage, but nobody has seen this footage. Uh, because it probably doesn't exist. I mean, it, it, it's something that uh, perhaps DWM, before the new series came back, might have covered if they'd wanted to do it, or it's something probably that you would see in nothing at the end of the lane uh, nowadays mm. as, as, as that sort of, um, you know, Bignall having access to a lot of documentation and knowing a lot of the main players uh, it could, could put together. But uh, I think it would be a fascinating read as to, you know, how close Doctor Who may have come back to returning to television and... Uh, or how far away it really was until, you know, 1996. And it's interesting here that, the, you know, if what the BBC said here, uh, wanting uh, McCoy back and then uh, Cinema Verity pushing back against that compares with uh, McCoy actually returning in the TV movie a few years later. Mm. Uh, it, it's interesting that he seems to have been, in, in the eyes of the BBC, as being a required element at some point. I still think it was a mistake having McCoy back in the 96 TV movie anyway. It's just bang straight into the story and not have the whole regeneration bollocks at the beginning of it. It just dragged it down and confused people. Now, you've uh, included some extra little snippets here, Mark. At GalaxyCon in May, Sylvester McCoy stunned the audience by revealing that he is fed up with waiting for an announcement of the show's future and is moving on to other things. Fellow guest Julian Glover declared that he was offered the role of the Doctor after John Pertwee left. I've never heard of that before. Uh, no, no. And have we all heard Mr. Pastry and Jim Dale and, and you know, Bernard... Um, Cribbins? Wilf uh, were offered it. Never heard of Julian Glover. Mm, mm. You know Sylvester, Sylvester McCoy is 75? That's unbelievable. That is unbelievable, isn't it? And I think Colin Baker is like 72 now. Time marches on, doesn't it? You think these guys are immortal, and, and they're not. No, they're not. And even to not, well, Tom Baker's in his, clearly in his early 80s. He, he looks like hell, to be honest. And, Mark, there's a quote here. Quote of the month. Coast to Coast producer Peter Litton speaking about his Doctor Who movie schedule to John Freeman in issue 162 of DWM says, clearly, there has been a delay. No shit, Sherlock. <laughs> I'd, I'd say he'd probably say much the same thing if we asked him today. <laughs> <laughs> so there's been a delay on the film and a delay on the TV. So it's just delays all around, really, isn't it? All right, so uh, now we move on to DW80, which is August 1990. The Curse of Fenric, extended video release. The Curse of Fenric has been added to the BBC's video Doctor Who schedule and will be released with 20 minutes or so of extra footage cut from season 26's transmitted version last November. The Web Planet and the Dominators, originally rescheduled for October, have been pulled forward again to September, which means Sylvester McCoy's Doctor's first outing on video could be as early as November, although February 1991 is seen as the most probable release date for this exciting project. DWB provided the spark. The decision for the expanded release was made after the story's composer, Mark Ayres, 
read our interview with home entertainment producer David Jackson in DWB 75, wherein interviewer Jeremy Bentham suggested the possibility of such a project. Ayres promptly wrote to BBC Enterprises mooting the idea and stating that he, for one, would be available to provide the necessary music for the additional scenes and links. Both he and director Nicholas Mallett, who has been paid in advance to re-edit the tale, are currently awaiting final clearances to be made before being given the green light to commence work on what will ultimately be a unique addition to BBC Video's range. Artist Alistair Pearson is also waiting on tenterhooks to learn whether he will be required to provide a new painting for the release, or if the BBC will opt to use his recent target artwork, or indeed, a photograph. Mallet has revealed that most of the unused footage from the story will be used, except for a couple of scenes which are rather short on action. Mallet was criticised at the time of recording the story for vastly overrunning, to such an extent that a bid was placed by the production team for an additional episode of airtime to enable Fenric to go out as a five-parter, but to no avail. And then there's a final point here. Mark Ayres released an album of his Mythmakers themes and original tracks on 21 July. So now I, as a habit, didn't purchase the VHS releases, Mark. Did you pick this up? Basically, yes, I got a copy of this. A friend of mine at the DWCB imported a whole heap of copies for the club, and I picked one up from uh, from him. I think it was like forty dollars, I think, at the time, which is quite uh, pricey. So explain to me, was it uh, for extended episodes, or was there indeed a fifth episode? It was basically for extended episodes, I, I vaguely remember. Okay. Yeah. And is that the yeah. version that appeared on the DVD version that came out later? There's two. There's On the DVD is the TV episodic version, yes. and then on the second disc is a special edition, but it's been edited together. As a movie. Okay. I, I have fond memories of that particular version. It's quite good. Ooh. It's quite good, actually. And uh, it was the first McCoy uh, to be released uh, on video and I think it was a good one to, to do especially with the, the extra footage as well it was a good uh, enticement for people to go and buy it yeah no, I think it's a strong release which is um, which is to their benefit now let's have a look at uh, Twitter watch uh, we've had uh, oh no still is oh wait no you've responded to a reply okay I have but uh, Nicola Bryan has said if your products don't have the friendly rabbit on them uh, dishwasher tablets washing up liquid washing powders etc then they are testing them on animals it is not necessarily make a stand folks and stop buying these products thank you so thanks Nicola for that I would only say this to Nicola Bryan if we can eat animals surely we can pour shampoo directly into their eyes no no you <laughs> callous okay so the next one is BSB Doctor Who Weekend Extravaganza BSB, which was a satellite company in the UK, has unveiled details of a major and unique event, a Doctor Who Bonanza, to take place over the weekend of September 22 to September 23. From 9am, 12 midnight, on both the Saturday and Sunday, the company's Galaxy Channel will be devoted entirely to Doctor Who. The weekend will consist of non-stop screening of complete stories, individual episodes from stories that do not exist in full, the two Dalek movies, all intersped with specifically recorded interviews with stars from the show and documentaries designed to explain the series concepts to casual viewers. Classic episodes. The BBC have agreed in principle to, to show a uh, galaxy showing anything that exists in black and white and full colour and for the first time ever allowing isolated episodes such as uh, Crusade 3, Evil of Daleks Part 2 etc uh, or the Ice Warriors Invasion to be shown provided the formats in which they are, uh, survive are suitable for transmission. What do you want to see? In the meantime you can help participate in the event as BSB would like to know what DWB readers would like to see over the weekend. Send in your nominations to together with any ideas you might have to DWB PO Box 1015 in Brighton. Hmm. Get your letters in. My friend Pirate Pete was sending me some tapes of the uh, of that weekend of some of the things they showed, like some of the uh, interviews. Had John Nathan Turner was hosting with two other uh, people as well. Uh, he, he actually did quite a good job hosting, I thought. From the coverage that it got, it appeared that um, it was a positive exercise. I'm not quite sure how many fans had access to B BSB, though. Look, it was a very small audience. Yeah. I think they did show a uh, episode of Abominable Snowman, I think. And I think they showed Web and Fe Web Fear as well, part one. Mm -hmm. I think they showed those two episodes. I think they showed things like Space Museum. I, I Look, I'm, I'm struggling to remember what they did show. I just remember some of the um, some of the interviews they did. And they did show things like Who's Doctor Who? Yes. Which was, I think, the only doco they had at the time. So, interestingly, they had it on the 22nd and 23rd of September. Wouldn't they have done that? Over the twenty second and twenty third of November, wouldn't that have been? Uh... Possibly, if that if that actually was the weekend. 
Maybe there wasn't. Maybe it was middle of the week or something like that. Who knows? I think modern viewers, obviously, who have access to everything, uh, would sort of look at an article like this and shrug their shoulders and wonder what the fuss was about. But just put yourself back into 1990, um, where the, the BBC had a, had a history of not making, you know, not repeating stories. Um, the very little was available on on, on video. Uh, certainly, you know, isolated episodes. Uh, you know, the only existing episodes from missing stories or even incomplete stories, just hadn't been screened since their final broadcast in the UK. Um, I think it was a very exciting, certainly a very exciting time for those people who uh, had a, you know, a satellite dish and were able to, able to watch it. And I'm sure, as you uh, experienced via the medium of the pirate video, there were plenty of other fans who, uh, <laughs> leaning on their friends who had BSB to tape, 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 basically. Yeah, tape, 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 and ship, ship, ship. Exactly, exactly. You so. know, pre-torrents, yeah. And our final article then is headlined, Tentative list confirmed. An anxious BBC video have finally admitted, after initial denials, that an advanced list of provisional titles purporting to be 1991's Doctor Who video lineup, published in recent editions of CT, DWM, and the last month's DWB, was based on facts and was not the result of a hoax, as DWB suggested. BBC Video are concerned that the list, which names story titles currently being considered for next year, should have been leaked so prematurely and were amazed to learn that the details stem from the BBC shop in Newcastle. However, they stress the list is very tentative and indeed changes are already being contemplated. Actually, just on that point, the BBC, we've seen this week apparently, the BBC (laughs) has leaned on a number of online sites not to talk about the uh, revelation of October 7 being the broadcast date for the next series of Doctor Who. Uh, with the possible threat of the lawyers being set upon people for revealing a date on a calendar. Ridiculous. These organisations talk about commercial inconfidence and all that sort of thing. The BBC is a public organisation. I mean, they're not losing money on this information coming out on October the 7th. Are they worried about losing control of the message? What is their message? That a new series of a current TV show is coming out on a particular date? I mean, what is, go- what is wrong with people? This whole Chris Chibnall, uh, secret agent Chris Chibnall must keep all <laughs> secrets to himself has seemingly infected the minds of the BBC and the marketing people and all those idiots who seem to think that they can control the message to the fans. I'm here to tell you, BBC, Chris Chibnall, that information is free and it will <laughs> soak into the community whether you like it or not. And God help anyone who gets between fans and information and especially me and my little blue tablets. Thank you, Sarah Huckabee Saunders. <laughs> fake news, Mark. <laughs> fake news. <laughs> it is ridiculous. So, I mean, wound up about a date which is going to be announced anyway. So they're losing control of the message. I mean, look, it's publicity. Yes. People, it's going to come out in October. Everybody knew it was going to come out in October. Everybody's getting excited about it, apart from you and me. Who cares? Exactly. I'm more excited about the overreaction. I mean, oh, for yeah. Christ's sake, people, grow up. Grow up. The best thing that happened to the new series of Doctor Who was when Rose leaked. Oh, yes. That was the best thing. The coverage in the new in the media, the hunt for the leaker. I mean, come on. And the hunt for the leaker for that one minute of uh, Jody that was released a couple of weeks ago, you know. Talk about the Spanish Inquisition. Mm. Come on. You're going you're gonna to waste your lawyer's time, your legal department's time chasing down someone. I mean, they're still going to make the same amount of money. They're still going to get the same amount of, uh, of uh, viewers. viewers. They're still going to get the same amount of publicity. Why, why pour shit on yourself by chasing after someone who's uploaded one minute of footage? I mean, come on. Talk about bloody killing kittens. So when the Five Doctors novel got accidentally released early, mm. right, to, uh, to bookshops, and some people managed to get hold of the copies, did you see the BBC then going around giving out lawsuits to people saying, hey, you can't uh, spoil any of this on, when you're writing into DWB and, and DWM? And no, because people ridiculous. had sense mark back then. They had yeah, sense. it's just they've lost all sense of reality. And I'm now. sure that if you talk to the legal eagles in the, within the BBC, they'll be looking at each other, going, "Why are we bothering with this? Hmm. What? Because you know, all right, yes, it's a breach of copyright and all that, but it's not such a massive breach of copyright that the BBC is going to lose their rights to Doctor Who. I mean, talk about you know, the idea is obviously to scare off anyone else from doing it, but good luck in the internet age. Good luck. I look forward to seeing Twitter saying, "Judy Whittaker's the best Doctor ever." Exactly. Speaking of Twitter, Mark, how are we going? Okay, Twitter watch. Uh, no updates. Admittedly, the UK is still asleep, and America is currently brawling about, <laughs> well, just about everything, so they're a bit distracted. Apart from one person in Australia, nobody else gives them monkeys. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Uh, and just to finally wrap this particular article, and indeed the segment up, uh, there's a regeneration set. 
Uh, for example, BBC Video are dithering over the proposed release of the Keys of Marinus next April and are currently researching into the story's merits and popularity amongst fans to determine whether it should be released so soon. They have also just realised that the scheduling of the mutants next June before other more widely acclaimed John Pertwee adventures is slightly premature, and it has been suggested that this title should be switched for John Pertwee's Swan Song, another six-parter, The Planet of the Spiders, which would dovetail nicely into Tom Baker's debut adventure, Robot, scheduled for two months later. David Jackson, producer of BBC Home Entertainment, informs us that since his interview in DWB 75, he's been inundated with letters from readers and asks us to point out that all advanced information concerning future releases will appear in DWB. So please avoid writing to him unless absolutely necessary. But I remember there was a list going around that had uh, mutants and, and keys of Marinus uh, being proposed early on, but they did switch out. Obviously, Planet the Spiders came into play. I don't think it was released with Robot. I think it was Keys of Androzani and Robot were released together, and, and Planet the Spiders uh, came later. But of course, there was a big, the big brouhaha about uh, double tape packs for uh, six episodes, which really sort of lasted for a while through the VHS run. So, um, yeah. Give Doctor Who fans something to complain about, and uh, you give them an, an address, and off they go. Like Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Twitter's failed us, Mark. It's clearly not the marketing extravaganza that we'd hoped for. But it... Hoping for a bit more excitement, you know. Oh, thank goodness you're back, but we've had two. But we're still overwhelmed by the two, aren't we, really? Thank you to those people who t- took the time to press a button on a device. Let's wrap up this uh, surprise cast, shall we call it? Yes, surprise cast. The podcasters who fell to earth, Mark, indeed. <laughs> We're not gender specific on that uh, title, are we? Exactly, exactly. So we'll be back at Christmas time with uh, Rob, Dave, Richard, and myself talking about Doctor Who and, and more stuff, I imagine. In the meantime, I've been rusty. And I have been extremely coked the eyeballs, Rob. No, more than normal. <laughs> Keep punching! You've just listened to another episode of 42 to Doomsday, the podcast that loves talking about Doctor Who. We'd love to hear from our listeners. Please drop us a line at 42 to Doomsday at gmail.com. We can be reached at facebook.com forward slash 42 to Doomsday. If brevity is your game, we can be found on Twitter at 42 to Doomsday. Please check out our blog, 42 to Doomsday.wordpress.com, where Mark and I occasionally have something interesting to say. Aside from iTunes, you can listen to us via Stitcher and Player FM. If you enjoyed listening to us, leave a review on iTunes. As always, thank you for listening. Have a great week. We'll speak with you again soon.